Welcome back to Lessons of a Former Pastor's Wife. I'm your host, Amy Kennedy, and this is my story. The next part of my story begins on a warm day in Georgia in the summer of 1996. I had two young college ladies over to my house who were visiting me, and it was any other normal day. If you listen to my last podcast, you know that I was diagnosed with end-stage renal failure and had to immediately go on dialysis. At this time in the summer of 1996, I was still doing dialysis. My health was okay. It wasn't great, um, but I was living and my husband and I were making our way in our small part of Morrow, Georgia. He had um, become a full-time pastor at the church that we had been attending while he was in college, and our little boys were growing up fast. I remember on that day in 1996, I had a terrible pain in the left side, um, and it was very difficult to deal with while I was visiting with these young ladies. I kept readjusting myself in the chair and putting pressure on the spot on my left side where the pain was the most intense, but I didn't tell the young ladies who were visiting me what I was going through. Having a new ache was nothing new and I didn't feel it was anything to be concerned about. Um, it did grow into a horrendous pain. And after they left, I realized I was starting to struggle to breathe because the pain was so intense. By the time my husband got home from work, the pain was so intense. I really couldn't breathe. And I had already had a suspicious rash covering my lower legs. I noticed at that time that the rash was growing uh, all the way up my legs to my torso and the symptoms were coming on so quickly that I ended up being hospitalized again. I was in critical condition. I started coughing up blood from my lungs. My doctors had no idea what was happening to me. I was in such whole body pain that they put me in a drug induced coma for a few days to get relief. At some point in time, my doctor told my husband that I had a prognosis of less than three days to live because my body was shutting down. I have little memory of the time I spent in the hospital. I have snippets of memory here and there. One of the things I remember is my father-in-law driving from Louisiana to help me develop a will. I have a memory of discussing with him plans for what I wanted for my funeral. And I have a memory of being told my children were no longer in Georgia, but were staying with my mother-in-law in Louisiana. I don't remember all the people who said they visited me. And I don't really remember how much pain the doctors said that I was in. However, I do have one very vivid memory of a night when I was all alone in my hospital bed. My memory tells me it was raining outside, but I don't know if that's true or not. What I do remember is crying out to God, please send a Christian woman to love my husband and raise my children. I was in a state of desperation. I knew my body was dying. After all, the doctors didn't believe I was going to live much longer. 
In my heart, I knew it was the end for me and I was in so much pain and anguish. I was okay with dying. What I wasn't okay with was leaving my sons alone in this world without a loving mother. I knew I couldn't be the one to raise them. So I laid in that hospital bed and begged God to send someone who could love them as they grew up. I begged God to send someone who could love and support my husband. It felt like I begged God for most of the night, overwhelmed by my circumstances and the deep desire to make sure my children were provided for and loved. Exhausted by the long emotional prayer, I remember laying in that hospital bed in total silence. My emotions swelled up inside of me one more time and I cried out loud, God, send a Christian woman to love my husband and my sons. My prayer barely left my lips that last time when a thought that was very loud racked my brain. My foolish child, you are that woman. It was loud, it was terribly firm, it was God. I know it's easy to dismiss as a dream or a drug-induced delusion, but it was real, it was harsh, and I know it was God. The reason why I know it was God is because it was in direct conflict with my own desperate thought process, and it lined up with scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's people were in exile when the prophet Jeremiah wrote this letter of God's plan for his people. He encouraged the people to settle in the land where they had been exiled and to raise families and grow. He told them to not listen to false prophets and to believe that God had a plan for them and he intended to restore them. I needed this verse to help me get through the terrible place I felt I had been exiled. I was alone in a hospital room with no knowledge of where my children were or who would raise them. I had no understanding of how I could be a good mother and wife with the terrible situation I had been placed. So I felt exiled in a world of pain and death. And I was okay with that as long as I had assurance my children and husband were going to be loved. I believed what the doctors said. I believed what everyone around me believed. I believed I was going to die. Guess what? <laughs> I did not die. I didn't have any strength, but somehow God raised strength inside me. He spoke his word of love in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he had plans for me. He spoke a reminder in his word, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God promised me healing, but as with so many things, that healing took time. My heart had to be ready to believe I could be healed that I wasn't going to die. Several things took place that I look back on now 
and understand the plan God had for me. A few weeks before I was hospitalized, a professor of mine from college, who was like a father to me, had a vision of me lying in a casket. This vision prompted him to start a 24-hour, around-the-clock prayer time for me. He contacted people from around the United States and asked them to choose a slot of time to pray for me during that 24 hours. I remember hearing about this and thinking it sounded a little bit extreme as I was doing okay on dialysis. I now know this prayer time was meant for the coming battle that I would be facing. God prepared my professor's heart because he wanted me to be covered in prayer. Another thing that happened is the very hospital I was in had an intern physician from India. She recognized my symptoms as vasculitis and ordered a very expensive test. She was discouraged and somewhat mocked by the physicians who were quote unquote more experienced and who told her it was very rare for someone to have vasculitis and testing for it was a waste of time. Well, she was right. And finally, with the diagnosis of vasculitis, I was able to receive treatment. The treatment for vasculitis that I had was difficult and extreme. I was put through a regiment of IV chemotherapy for two straight weeks while I was forced to do plasmapheresis and hemodialysis. A large catheter was placed under my neck near the shoulder so I could have my plaza, plasma and daily treatments while a PIC line was used for chemo. I then did several weeks of every Monday, Wednesday and Friday hemodialysis and every Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday I did plasmapheresis where my plasma was removed and separated, then transfused back into my bloodstream. Both machines were large and it took hours each day to receive these treatments. Sundays were the only days I was not put through torture. The time of IV chemotherapy was especially difficult because I was also going through dialysis and plasmapheresis while daily being injected with chemo. Once I left the hospital, I had to continue on a chemotherapy drug called Cytoxin for a full year. To this day, I still have the scars on my upper chest where the catheter was held in place with stitches. It is a very ugly, visible reminder of the desperate time I went through. And I wear it proudly as a war wound of survival. My goal through all of this was to be able to get back home with my husband and my children. But even going home was difficult. After so long in the hospital and in so much pain and receiving so much treatment, my body had become addicted to the drugs that my doctor took me off cold turkey. It's a strange thing to have your body crave something, but your brain doesn't know how to feed that craving. In my delusional state, I wandered around my house completely out of my mind. My husband had to accept the assistance of good friends to babysit me while he was at work during the day and so he could sleep at night. I was told many stories of me walking into my children's bedrooms and attempting to care for them, even though they were still living in Louisiana with my mother-in-law. Apparently, I even attempted to cut my own hair while wandering around. 
Afterward, I was told that people were very concerned for both myself and my husband, who was put in the horrible situation of caring for a young wife who was completely out of her mind. After a few days, my husband finally contacted my doctor and told him he didn't know what to do for me. He described my situation and was told by the doctor, that's because she's going through withdrawals. We shouldn't have sent her home cold turkey. By that time, the worst was almost over. So we just continued the course until my body got through the withdrawals and I was able to think clearly and care for myself again. You see, God gave me a promise that I was the woman to love my husband, raise my children. But I still had to face the consequences of the disease that almost killed me. Recovery was a process that I had to patiently endure. In Jeremiah 29, God's promise before he delivered his people from exile was 70 years. It was a process of healing. He commanded them to find happiness in the circumstance of exile they were in. And I hold that same promise for myself. Despite the hardships we endure, we must find happiness exactly where we are because happiness, true peace, is not found externally. It's only found from within. No matter your circumstance, no matter the trial you face, true peace and happiness is only found inside by accepting who you are and living in the truth of God's promises. He does not want us to have a spirit of fear that stops us from living. He commands us to live our best lives no matter where we find ourselves. That's what he said through his prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29. And I know that's what he told me that dark, rainy night alone in the hospital. I told you in my last podcast that I do not believe there has to be a reason for everything we go through in life. This life is corrupt and filled with evil. Bad things happen to us, either by our own choices or by the choices of others. Bad things can happen even if it doesn't seem there was a choice made by anyone. We are not promised an easy life, by no means. In fact, Jesus says the exact opposite in John 16, 33. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart. I've conquered the world. I do not believe God desired for me to go through what I went through in 1996. But I do believe he prepared the way of healing before I was even sick. And I know he used my situation to save another person's life. I had a close friend from my church who adopted a little girl from Guatemala. Jesse was seven years old and also had renal failure. During the time I knew her, she was placed on dialysis and I was able to encourage her adopted mother through the process of taking her new daughter back and forth to treatments. Almost exactly a year since I survived vasculitis, Jesse was hospitalized. She was dying and the doctors at her children's hospital could not figure out what was happening to her. Her mother called me 
and through our discussion, it was discovered that Jesse's symptoms were eerily similar to what I had gone through the year before. Her mother fought the doctors to order the test for vasculitis, but they refused. They said it was virtually impossible for a child Jesse's age to have vasculitis and that her insurance would not cover the cost of the test. Jesse's mother fought harder than I have ever seen anyone fight a doctor, and they finally relented and ordered the test. And you guessed it, Jesse had vasculitis. Because of my circumstance and her mother's persistence, Jesse's life was saved. And she also eventually received a kidney transplant. Now, God could have stopped me and Jesse from ever having to endure the pain of vasculitis and near death. He could have made both of our lives simpler, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to prepare the way for recovery. And he chose to use my situation to prompt Jesse's mother to act to save her daughter. We live in a world of pain. Our lives in this world have constant issues and God doesn't always save us from them. I do not know the mind of God. I don't know why he allows things to happen to us or why some of us seem to face harsher situations than others. But I can never give up on trusting him to deliver me and to make straight the path in front of me. God spoke to me that night in the hospital. His voice was a loud, harsh thought in my head. It was the exact opposite of what my mind was telling me, and it lined up exactly with scripture. I can tell you from my experience that God speaks to me through scripture and other people. But he also speaks to me in thoughts that are not my own. They are never what I want or what I am thinking in the moment. They never justify poor decisions or selfish ambition. And they always line up exactly with scripture. Most of the time that God speaks to me, it is to set me back on a right path because I have strayed into places that are not good for me. If I had shut down the harsh thought, my foolish child, you are that woman, I never would have recovered from vasculitis. I may never have, ha have had the strength to go through all of the treatments recovery required. Believe me when I tell you, it's easier to die than to do what you must do to live. I can tell you now, God's way is never the easy way. God's way will challenge you and you probably won't understand it. It will try you beyond what you can even imagine. But the rewards of inner peace and joy are so worth the fight to stay on his great path. Your moment of pain is just that. It's a moment. You will get through it and you will find your way to the other side. I am far removed from 1996. God's promise to allow me to, the, to become the woman to love my husband and raise my children came true. 
I am now a grandmother of two incredible little boys. I don't know what my future holds today, but I do know what God promised me that night in 1996 in Atlanta, Georgia, all alone in that hospital bed. And he keeps speaking to me to this day. I just don't listen as often as I should. I don't always choose the right path. Too often, I choose the easy path, even though I know the easy path will almost assuredly lead to my own pain and suffering, not to mention the suffering I can cause others. Please be encouraged by my words today. I pray that if you are in a desperate situation, you will keep walking through it, believing that God has a plan for you. God has a plan to prosper you and give you a future. Don't give up. Don't take the easy way out. Keep fighting for your promise. Keep fighting for true inner peace and happiness. This was a very difficult podcast for me to share with you. It's a very hard time in my life that I don't know if I've ever completely recovered from. But it's my story. And my story has not been beautiful and it has certainly not been easy. My story has been filled with pain and messy things, but it has also been filled with so much more blessing, constant blessings. And when I allow it, my life has also been filled with true peace and joy. You have your own story to share and I want to hear it. Please email me at formerpastorwife at outlook.com and tell me what God has done in your life. Let's take this opportunity as a community to encourage one another through our experiences. I pray God blesses you all. And I hope you will join me in my next podcast called Healing Has Come, where I tell you about receiving my kidney transplant. I know it's hard to believe, but that's a pretty dramatic story too. My love and blessings to you all.